You are listening to a Natural Products Insider Podcast. With Heather Granado, Vice President, Content, Health and Nutrition. Brought to you by Supply Side East, April 10th and 11th. I'm Heather Granado. I am the VP of Content in Informa's Global Health and Nutrition Network. I'm here in Handan, China with Lauren Israelson from UNPA. Thanks for joining me on the other side of the world. Pleasure to be here with you. Lauren and I have been here attending the China Natural Ingredients Conference, and you were actually one of the speakers here talking a little bit about the keys to finding success in the U.S. market. And one of the things that you talked about was trust. So can you talk for our audience a little bit about trust and the importance that it will play in sort of building that bridge between the U.S. and China markets? Happily. Uh, Trust really is the ultimate issue for both sides that here in China, as we have seen over the past, uh, I've been here a week and another week to go basically, is how little these uh, Chinese manufacturers and brand holders really know about the U.S. market. So from the China side, there's clearly a trust issue of who do we work with? Who do we really know will be a partner with us? And they really need fundamental, fundamental advice and guidance. But you can see how anxious they are is to move from what they're perceived at as as a no-name ingredient supplier to a true global partner where we know their executives, we know their companies, we have visited We've had dinner together and really build true relationship. From the U.S. side, there's always been this fear of we don't really know what's happening inside the China production marketplace. So we're buying ingredients from companies that we don't know where they are or who they are. Our consumers more and more are truly looking at where did this really come from? People really want to know the details and the technology makes it very easy to go and take a look. So there's a consumer trust question, there is a B2B relationship question, and so there's little trust which is you send it and I'll pay the bill and there's the big T trust which is that deep sense of relationship. That's being built. The good news coming out of this conference is um, I think that there's an awareness that we have to do a lot of work of this kind and supply side always comes up as a reference point. And that's a terrific place to continue this kind of gathering. Absolutely. Well, you've also been building a bridge with the conference producer, Urbridge Media, and are contributing content actually for their publication. What are some of the tips and information that you're providing for the Chinese market? Yeah, this, this is really a fun and interesting project and to our knowledge has never been done before. So here we have the equivalent of what would be our leading trade publications in the U.S. This is the China version of that. But once again, they've always had China content. And because of this interest of what's really happening in the U.S., that uh, we agreed to uh, essentially build 16 pages of U.S.-driven material added into the Chinese publication, uh, Asiaceutical Insights. So we're learning as we go, because we just published our first issue together. But what we did is feature some of our company's profiles, 
of industry news to try and just help the Chinese uh, market understand the American consumer perspectives. We also featured some of our key MOU partners. Um, one thing that we can see there's interest in is just knowing and understanding the range of, of relationships. So we featured Mark Blumenthal on ABC. That would be normal and natural. Um, we're also doing a special feature piece about the University of Mississippi's National Center for Natural Products Research. And this is another area, as we, we have seen for many years, is that the scientific communities between the U.S. and China actually do have quite a good and long-working relationship. But once you move down into a different strata of the business community, it really changes. So we're realizing that there is plenty of material to share from the U.S. They're hungry for everything. So we're learning as we go is what's most helpful for them. Right. Well, certainly, you know, when you talk science, science is one of those universal languages. That's right. You know, That's right. whatever a compound is here, it's exactly the same compound. It That's didn't right. change miraculously on its way across the, uh, the ocean. That's right. Yeah, we're learning is that the language issues are, are <laughs> can be funny and also kind of tragic. Yes. Is that many companies in China have biotech in their company name. The U.S. consumer doesn't find that to be an attractive proposition and understand that in a completely different way. Here it's understood as leading um, top technology, and we see it as GMO. Mm -hmm. So these are basic things that if we can help them understand, that they will avoid some of the common mistakes. We want them to have a good experience when they come to the U.S. and to feel that there are partners there that really want them to succeed, um, both as a, an industry, because they do represent somewhere between 70 to 80 percent of the raw materials. We need China to succeed. Absolutely. Well, the opening session uh, at yesterday's portion of the conference with Madame Meng Dongping, is the vice president of CCCMHPIE, which is kind of the leading government group that's focused on that sort of import-export. Right. And she discussed the market opportunity and the need for Chinese producers to really raise that bar on quality. Mm. So you mentioned you've been here for a week, uh, you've got a week to go, you've, through the years, visited lots of production facilities. Right. So right. are you seeing that companies are really raising the bar here in China? They are. Uh, and that's partly because of just internal uh, domestic reasons that the Chinese consumer is um, astonishingly connected. And the amount of information that flows um, inside the Chinese um, information system is totally different than the U.S. One thing that's a problem is that as, as China has created more of an exclusive internal information system, it tends to lock out foreign information. So the Chinese people really, truly don't know in many cases, what's what's really happening elsewhere in the world in the way that we would see it. So the trade opportunities are clear and obvious. Um, so we're trying to figure out and think through is how do we actually physically communicate? What is it that they really need to know? Yes, companies are changing. Um, they're asking the right questions. They're really interested in, in GMPs. They understand that quality counts more and more and more. Having said that, there is still tremendous price pressure, and we have to be realistic about what is really happening in the market. Companies do compete on price, and that begins with the raw materials. If we have a reputation as, as low-bid buyers, is that we have to change our reputation is we're a quality of value buyer. We want 
good quality at a fair price, the right price. What is that price? And we're trying to figure out how to reset pricing models that would really reflect quality first, then a fair price for that standard. So it's the two question is, is what is it and how can you prove it is what it is and how much is it? Right. We're trying to change that equation bit by bit. Companies here get it is if they want to be a leader is they have to lead with quality. Yes. And we actually visited a facility today, uh, CCGB, Chengguang, and fascinating, huge, huge, huge yeah. uh, production facility and really integrated in terms of using technology and building their own equipment and emphasizing, you know, the use of waste products. So there were a lot of things that really I found fascinating uh, when I was going through. Um, when you're talking about pricing, the fact that they were actually able to increase yields that they're getting out of the same amount of material um, and optimize the pricing there, you know, because they're getting more out of what they already started with. That's right. So yeah. what were some of the things that you noticed when we were visiting CCGB today? Uh, it was a it was a fascinating tour. First, we were taken on a personal tour by the, the founder and chairman of the company. Yes, Mr. Liu. Mr. Liu, who is encyclopedic about every detail. And when, when we say a, a manufacturing facility, that's the wrong term. This is a campus. This really looks like a university campus. It's huge. Mm -hmm. And there are, I'm not sure how many, probably 15 buildings, and these are big buildings, and that there are streets that run through this campus. It's very different than what you would see in the U.S. The scale is kind of mind-blowing. Um, but clearly that they have adopted technologies very quickly. They build their own manufacturing equipment literally build it from the ground up. So they've been able to adapt the equipment to the needs for extraction of botanicals, which is their primary business. They're the biggest supplier of stevia, their primary and, and other key materials. And uh, for me, I've been through hundreds of facilities over the years. I've never seen one quite like this. Um, the combination of really build and design together um, and now what was fascinating is we can see that the capability is very strong. What they would like to know is what does the market want? We'll build, we'll adapt. We have tremendous capabilities to scale up. They have five different pilot facilities of different sizes and, and different technologies. So they literally can start from uh, five kilos and 10 kilos and then go all the way up to tons per day. That's an unusual capability. So it was a tremendously interesting tour. Right. It was one, and that's one of their, you know, 10 different locations that they were telling us that's about. That's right. We're, you know, their own equipment manufacturing facility. Yes. And their facilities in India, and they're expanding in Africa. Yeah. And yeah. really putting the processing facility next to the fields. Yes. So they're really making sure that when they're getting that raw material, yeah. that it is processed the way they want it processed yeah. and then refined here. Yes, exactly. So they truly operate on the, the farm to the table. And they have everything from finished products um, all the way to there's the, the farthest, if you think of China on a map, it's the farthest north and western point of China, which is the high desert plateau, which is right next to Tibet and the big mountains. It's a very arid, harsh environment. 
but it's also very suitable for a number of plants that are important because they protect themselves from intense UV light. They produce a lot of antioxidants and a lot of interesting materials. So they have big facilities there where they're producing right next to where it really does come from. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was uh, the first time I think I have seen that farm-to-table uh, process actually in place in China all the way to the finished product. Right, as they're producing finished products for the Chinese market. For the Chinese market. Yeah. Exactly. Pretty fascinating. And, you know, being here on the ground uh, with Sherry Wang from Ingredients Online, um, since they have been working together for seven years, I think. So she's actually seen the growth of this company. And one of the Ingredients Online's things is, you know, you need to see the facility. Mm. It's great that we're seeing a demand for traceability, that you want to know that, when I'm ordering something, there's actually a facility that's going yeah. to produce it for me. It's not just coming right. out of a magic warehouse box. That's right. That's right. So I'm just going to wrap up. You know, what do you see ahead for this sort of U.S.-China bridge in the health industry? I, the first thing that strikes me is how similar our consumers are. They want the same thing. They truly do. They're very interested in understanding where it comes from. One of the great challenges in China is um, the pollution is is really a problem here. Um, we happen to be in, in Handan, which uh, among its charms is not clean air. Uh, <laughs> it, it's often the, the most air polluted city in, in China. And they're acutely aware of this and they're working very hard to solve the problem. And that creates a health consciousness with a lot of the younger millennial um, Chinese shoppers. Uh, that are very aspirational, very, and they look to the U.S., well, how do you do it? You're the leaders in really thinking about the best ways to approach uh, natural uh, lifestyles. And that's a new thing in China, actually. They have a very ancient tradition of TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, um, which is a whole body health and wellness approach. But interestingly, that the modern version of that, which is expressed in the United States, that we see at our trade shows and in everyday life, is still for the Chinese uh, consumer um, a really important and an exciting thing for them. And they're looking to our way to understand that. So the first part of the bridge is realizing our consumers are really the same. The second part is that China is the biggest market in the world, and many leading U.S. companies very much want to be a part of this market for this reason. So we're seeing that the China Bridge has historically been ingredients to the United States. The second part of that is it's ingredients to the U.S., made in USA, and then coming back to China because Chinese consumers trust American products. But because they start in China, we got to make sure that whether we use them in the U.S. or they're consumed in China, it is to the standard that we want it to be. So it's a two-way street bridge, and that's both a matter of respect and reciprocity, and also making sure that we are here, that we've hired a very capable staffer who's based in Beijing. So we have literally people on the ground here. That's part of our commitment. We're encouraging the Chinese companies to come at a very senior executive level and really be a part of the peer group relationship of our leadership. So that's very much a part of the bridge. We're also interested in scientific exchange, understandably. Um, the other one that is a key um, task for 2018 is FISMA compliance. We have the Food Safety Modernization Act. This really kicks in in 2018, and China really has to understand what is expected under this new system. 
That involves quite a lot of training, um, but that will also help them align their operations and their food safety plans and their staff training with the U.S. requirements. So this is the best chance we're ever going to get to try and harmonize how we approach quality and to train everybody in the same system. Easy to say, hard to do. <laughs> the trainings are, are uh, complicated and long, two and a half days. It's a prescribed curriculum. Uh, you receive a certificate recognizing that you've really been through this training. Up until now, there have not been materials for these trainings, which we don't create. That is created by an independent body that FDA um, essentially supervises to make sure that it's being done to a very high not just the U.S. standard, but they're involving international experts to make sure this is really the way it can be done around the world. So this is a huge task. Um, and we know that there's a big hill to climb, just basic education. We see the willingness, we see the interest, which is very exciting, is that as China emerges as a, an increasingly important global player on every level, on every level, is the thing they want more than anything else is respect and recognition as a country that we come to the table as an equal partner. Um, we will see that very quickly develop in the U.S. industry is uh, we need to extend that kind of respect and to be here and to be a part of their conferences, which is why we're here. That's true. And to build the relationship so that when we ask harder things of them, they know why we're asking for that and that they see the reward at the end of the day, which is they get the business, and that's what we want. If we ask them to improve quality, they should get the business. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the reasons that we're launching Supply Side China in exactly. uh, June in Guangzhou uh, in 2018. So which will be an exciting venture. It will, yes. No doubt a learning experience for everybody involved. Yes. But that's a very big step, is to see that presence in China. And everyone knows Supply Side. It's, it's amazing. They really do. But to have that here now, it brings it very much home. So yes. I think Informa has such a central role to play in all of this. Well, and certainly UNPA is a, a partner with us in, in education and in traveling around and uh, eating more Beijing duck, I think. Yes, uh, so we've got a lot ahead of us. We so. Do. Lauren, thank you for taking some time out uh, to chat with me. I certainly appreciate it. And to our listening audience, again, I'm Heather Granado. I've been here with Lauren Israelson. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at, at NatProdInsider. And please stay tuned for the next Healthy Insider podcast. Thank you for listening to today's podcast brought to you by Supply Side East. For additional podcasts featuring industry leaders and experts, visit naturalproductsinsider.com.